0: welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer Podcast, I'm Shan VanderLeek, and today I'm speaking with Eric Zimmer about the foundational habits of spiritual transformation. Eric is endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives we want to live. At the age of 24, he was homeless, addicted to heroin, and facing long jail sentences. In the years since, he's found a way to recover from addiction and build a life in which he thrives as a behavior coach, interfaith spiritual director, host of the award winning podcast, The One You Feed, and creator of the Spiritual Habits Program. I had the pleasure of speaking with Eric back in 2019. So if you're interested after this show, you can go ahead and listen to that conversation as well. Welcome back to Anxiety Slayer, Eric.
1: Thank you so much for having me back. I am really glad to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you. And today I want to explore some of the key components of your Spiritual Habits program and just kind of flow through some of what's come up as you've been in that process and have been leading that offering for some time now. What was your inspiration for creating it?
1: I think primarily what I really started to see in a lot of the people I worked with in my one-on-one coaching practice and just talking with a lot of different people. And you know, certainly in my own life as well, I really noticed that there is very often a gap between what we know and what we do. With spiritual practice, this is often very much the case. We read something, let's say, and we're inspired by it. We read something that talks about accepting certain things in life more. And we think, yes, I can vision what life might feel like if I did that more often, right? We're inspired by it. And then we forget all about it all through our day. And the moments where we actually could apply that principle, we don't because we don't remember. As I looked at the knowing doing gap, particularly when it comes to this sort of transformational wisdom, I realized that I think the primary problem is one of forgetting. Since I'm a, a behavior coach and I've spent a lot of time studying and interviewing some of the leading people that are out there with behavior science and knowing, you know, how do we change? How do we make changes in our life? I realized I actually had some of those answers. Why don't I put together the two things that interest me most, sort of foundational spiritual wisdom and behavior change? and create a program that, that brings the two together so that we can bridge that knowing and doing gap, start to experience more of the actual transformation that's available from some of this wisdom.
0: And you've made it easy to do so, because what I've noticed in the years that, that we've been producing Anxiety Slayer and, and working with folks is they'll o- often get the idea of something but think it's too much work or they are in this space of just not understanding how they can implement what needs to be implemented. And so it seems like a good idea, but they're not taking action. And then that will turn back around to more suffering. But I'm suffering, and this is happening, but I'm not taking action. Yep. And you had a, a quote on your website that, that said, what you practice, you strengthen. And that's been something that we've been sharing for for such a long time is that if you take action, if you practice, if you do so from a place of just putting one foot in front of the other, it's going to make a big difference. And what you've done is created this, this roadmap to help people get there.
1: Yeah, I've certainly tried. The foundational principle that underlies the entire program is little by little, a little becomes a lot because to your point people think that they need to do a lot in order to change and particularly in spiritual circles people are thinking in terms of retreats and Mm -hmm. monasteries and i mean you know we get very extreme with it but for most of us maybe we go on a retreat once or twice a year but our lives are busy and that's not going to change for most of us, right? That's just the nature of what we've got. So we've got to have a spiritual program and practice that works with that. The program, there are there are a couple sort of broad pieces to it. One is what I'd call formal practice. And this is sort of things that we do uh, where we take time away from our day to Do some sort of spiritual practice. We're meditating or we're praying or we're chanting or, you know, but it's time or we're reading and writing and reflecting, but it's time that we take away and sort of go off on our own and and do this spiritual practice. And those are the formal practices and those are valuable and they're important. The second part of the program is what I call on the spot practices. And on the spot practices are things that you do as you're going through your day that you don't have to take time away from your day in order to do. Or maybe it's about pausing for a minute and reflecting in a certain way. If we can get more of those on-the-spot practices, I I refer to them as still points. If we can get more of these still points throughout our day, then little by little, a little becomes a lot. This stuff starts to add up. And that's Mm -hmm. the way most of us are going to change. We're simply not going to change by going away for six months and dedicating our life to practice. Some fortunate people may be able to do that, but the vast majority of us are not. And even the people that do that are going to come home and have a busy life and still have to learn to do this.
0: That just made me think of a a very brief but funny story. I I was coming away from a silent retreat, and it was just so decadent. I just loved it. It was a wonderful (laughs) experience. And I was coming home, just driving along the water. I live in a beautiful... Place. It was just a couple hours drive, but mostly on the water and just taking my time, listening to some music, just in my happy place. And I, apparently I did something. I don't remember if I cut somebody off, if I didn't use an indicator, if I wasn't going fast enough, but I stopped this street streetlight and this guy just lost his friggin' mind at me, right? Just like screaming out the window. I don't even know what he said and beeping the horn and whatnot. And it was just this moment of oh well, <laughs> I guess we're I guess we're back to this form of reality now. Most interesting, and because of where I was at, of course, I could just kind of smile and wave and move on. But uh, it was just that root of awakening and, and that on the spot mindfulness that you bring up it, It's kind of like what you and I were talking about before we started recording. Is when you like oh man, I'm kind of tired this afternoon, and maybe I had a little bit for lunch that didn't suit me, or, and I've got this work to do. And, and instead of making it be this stress ball of anxiety, it's like, oh, you know, it's all right. You've been here before. You've got this. Do what you need to do. And so on. Right. So you're right there in that moment, not letting yourself spin out with whatever it might be that came up.
1: Yeah. 100%. First, I want to say your voice is just so, uh, you've got such a great voice for this. I just listen to you talk and I'm like, just, I just love hearing it. With that that aside, what you're describing is so important because what it is, is it's ultimately what is transformational is the ability to recognize what's going on within us and work with it skillfully so that we can then act according to what we value and what is most important to us. Like that's the, to me, that's kind of the whole enchilada right there, right? And so the first part of that is that recognition And so we talk about triggers as part of the program. And in this case, I mean triggers in the sense of something that helps us remember to do something. We can introduce different triggers. We can have time-based triggers and location-based triggers, and we can have random triggers like a mindfulness bell that goes off. But the ultimate trigger, if we can develop it, is an emotion-based trigger or an awareness-based trigger. We notice what's going on inside of us and we go, oh, when X is happening, I want, to, I want to try and do Y inside. And when we can start to do that, that's what becomes truly transformational. The story you just gave of me and being tired yesterday is a pretty minor example of it, but it is an example of it. It's an example of recognizing I'm starting to feel overwhelmed because I'm feeling really tired and I've got a lot to do. And also now knowing for myself, okay. What do I do inside myself when I start to feel overwhelmed? And then being able to do that. So, yeah, that's what we're ultimately building towards.
0: Can you dig in a little bit to the four principles that make it easy to build any habit?
1: The four principles that I think are are critical to building uh, a habit. The first is to know your why. Right. If you don't know why you want to do something, you're not going to. Stick with it. You're not going to continue to do it. So we want to get really clear. Why does this matter to me? The closer that gets to something really emotional for us, the better. Well, I might say, well, I want to uh, take a walk every morning. Why? Well, because I want to be in better shape. Okay, we're getting there. But why? Why is getting in better shape matter to you? Oh, because I want. You know, if I'm in better shape, I'll have more energy. Okay. Why does having more energy matter? Oh, because I really want to have the energy to play with my grandchildren. Okay, now we are to something that matters deeply to us. Right. So knowing why we're doing something is, is really important. The next is to start small. The basic thing is most of us take on too much. And then we, uh, we can't do it consistently. And so when we can't do it consistently, we start to feel bad about ourselves and we doubt ourselves and that drives our, our motivation down and it becomes less likely that we'll do it. So it's much better to start small and build than try and do too much and have the whole structure collapse. And the third is to be specific. We need to know what we're doing, uh, when we're doing it, how we're doing it, where we are doing it. I often say that ambiguity is it's one of the the parents of procrastination. When we're ambiguous, we don't do it. So back to my workout example, if I'm like, well, I want to get in better shape, I should exercise this week. That is not nearly specific enough. Like it's very unlikely I'm going to act on that. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I get to, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to take a walk tomorrow. Okay, I'm getting closer. I've got it down to a day and an activity. But best would be, I'm going to take a 15-minute walk uh, around my block at 3.30 tomorrow, right? Like yeah. that level of specificity, the science is uh, very clear on on a lot of studies that when people are specific about what they're doing, they know when they're doing it, what they're doing, and they they get rid of the the ambiguity, they're much more likely to do it. And then the last principle sort of sums up a little bit of the, of the previous three in some ways, but it's to separate decision from action. And what I mean by that is if we haven't decided ahead of time why we're doing something, if we haven't sized it to be the right size, if we haven't been specific, then we're trying to decide and act at the same time. And this is difficult to do. We've all experienced this, right? You wake up and you're like, "All right, well, I know that I need to do laundry today." And you're like, "All right, well, should I do it now? I don't know. I could do it. At, I guess I could wait and do it after eleven. What if I did it here, right?" And <laughs> on and on it goes, right? Right. Right. Or exercise. Should I? Should I? Should I get on the Peloton bike today, or should I take a walk? Or I guess I could strength train. But uh, when am I going to eat lunch and? It, we just don't do it. It's much better to think ahead of time, to decide, to look at the big picture, to, to take these other principles into mind and to sort of set a plan. That way, when the time comes, we don't have to mess with decision. We just move straight into action. And the other, the, the reverse of the principle holds also that when it's time for action, we don't go back into decision mode. Should I? Shouldn't I? No, I've already right, decided. we just do
0: it. Right.
1: That's right. I've already decided, let's just do it. So those are the four principles.
0: I love that and, and can see how it applies to so many of the choices and the way that, that I live and fill my calendar. My, my calendar begins with my sacred practices. Like that is non-negotiable and then moves into how, how do I want to move my body today? So I give myself choices but it's still there. It's still scheduled. It's still something I know that I'm going to be doing in the morning. So wh- whether I want to do my yoga practice or in the winter, get on my treadmill or go for that walk or whatever, it's there. And I'm like, okay, body, what what do we want to do today? Yep. I have choice still, right? Because of the way that my brain works, if I don't have a little bit of flexibility and choice, I get very stubborn. <laughs>
1: Yes that's a really important point that's a really important point which is that yeah we have to find for ourselves the right balance of structure and flexibility yeah i always say to people if you're going to maintain any habit long term you're going to have to have a, a a curious mixture of like rigidity and flexibility, right? Because you, totally. you're going to be called on both of those things. That you, the rigidity part is the like, I'm doing this t- today. The flexibility is often, I have to I have to improvise. You, you may say, I'm going to work out in the morning and that's your plan and then something happens. Right. And so then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, now I've got to be flexible. Uh, I'm going to end up just doing a five-minute walk uh, this evening after dinner. That's all I've got time for, but it's better than nothing. So, and it counts. And I love It counts. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I love what you're saying about being able to ask yourself, what do you want? I think the more established we are in doing certain things, the more sometimes we can be flexible with them. You're clearly very established in like, all right, I'm moving my body every day. I've been doing it pretty consistently. And so I can allow myself to just sort of go with what I feel like in that moment, because you're better established. So when I'm working with a coaching client, got to start small. Well, how small? It's different for everybody, right? Yeah, so, sure, sure. You know, and, and the same thing with this level of specificity versus rigidity. Like, what's the person like? How likely are they to do it? We're playing with these, these things a little bit to find the level that works for the person.
0: Yeah, because we're all different. Yes. A, a number of the listeners are in a space of really needing routine and needing a very specific structure to follow, and that's what works best. That's what we keep hearing back, is that if if they have to think about too much, like you said, if they get into that space of combining decision and action, it becomes a space of just freezing up. Yep. and And then giving up in some cases as well. What are some of the key qualities that you find that foster Learning and growth, and moving into this spiritual habits space.
1: There are two sort of key qualities, and they're interrelated: curiosity and self-compassion. Mm. Mm-hmm. They are related. Self-compassion is so important. It's the it's the the second sort of spiritual principle I teach in the program because it's so important. Because we don't learn when we're not self-compassionate the reason self-compassion is so important for the this program is trying to live a life by by certain principles things like acceptance and being present and generous we're going to fail constantly right we're not going to live up to the intention we set for ourselves very often we don't want to turn this into just another way to feel bad about ourselves Self-compassion is really important, A, for that reason, and B for the learning perspective. Because when we are being very harshly judgmental of ourselves, we are, to, to put it in neuroscience terms, we're we're activating the limbic portions of our brain, the stress response portions of our brain. That's what happens when we're like, oh God, you're such a jerk. You're an idiot. That's what's happening. When those parts of our brain are activated the prefrontal cortex is less activated and the prefrontal cortex is where we learn the most fundamental thing i think in order to make change is to learn why didn't this work what went wrong what could i have done differently yes. those questions move us towards figuring out how to do the thing we want to do when we're in judgment we're not asking any of those questions we're not learning and so self compassion is is Uh, critical for any kind of learning. And that's what leads sort of to curiosity, right? Curiosity moves us into a space of openness towards learning. And curiosity is also something that helps us to practice self-compassion. We most need self-compassion when we make a mistake, right? That's when we're most hard on ourselves. And when we make a mistake is where we most want to be curious. Like, okay, why? Most of us just assume it's because we're or flawed people. That's not my experience of working with hundreds of people from around the world. I don't view it that way. I view all this stuff from the lens of a puzzle.
0: Yeah. I, I love go, that. Oh, I love you know, that.
1: You know, Why are you not exercising every day?
0: What is
1: it? There's something that's getting in our way. Let's work together and let's find out what that is instead of just concluding, well, I'm a lazy person. Like, right. What do you do with that? You don't learn from that judgment, I'm a lazy person. You're not more motivated. You're not anything. So what we go is, okay, why is it really hard for me to uh, move my body every day? I'm always thinking of these things from a perspective, a puzzle, and looking for the answers.
0: And as we were talking about the the judgment piece too, one of the practices that I have that I do every night without fail before I go to sleep. Is I just do a quick run through of the day and notice what I really enjoyed, what fell flat on its face, what I might be able to do differently, where I could have been more kind, and then let it all go. Let it go. Look at it and then let it go. Because I used to hang on to that stuff and then just continually beat myself up over if i wasn't absolutely perfectly behaved <laughs> if i wasn't yeah. if i didn't carry myself in such a way and it was exhausting trying to to do that and now i can look at it and go wow you know that worked out really well that worked out really well that particular choice and how you responded to your daughter could have gone better perhaps we could be more curious in our relationships too instead of judging something that happens i'm so incredibly sensitive that I will often know what's going on with people they don't even have to say a word. Uh, I can be in the other room and things will come up and I've also had to learn that some of that is none of my business. <laughs> 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 and to be curious, ask the question if if I think something's up and and give and give my partner or friend or daughter the the opportunity to explore it or not. But coming back to that space of of we all our heart and ourselves in one way, shape or form. If you want to, at the end of the night, just kind of run through your day, give yourself some love, let go what needs to be let go of, learn and move forward.
1: That's a beautiful practice. And That is a, such a great, great habit to have because yeah, it, it does clear the space for you to move forward as well as learn. And, yeah. and that, that's wonderful.
0: We're going to go to break right now, but uh, after the break we'll jump back into conversation with Eric, creator of the Spiritual Habits program that you can find at oneyoufeed.net. The Anxiety Slayer podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy. Supportive nurturing relationships take practice, especially your relationship with yourself. A lot of us will drop anything to help someone else that we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? Ananga and I regularly invest in our self-care with tapping, nutrition, breathing exercises, yoga, and even counseling when we need additional support. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. I worked with a BetterHelp therapist a while ago to help me through a challenging time at the beginning of the pandemic when my daughter was leaving the nest for college. I received wonderful support from a trained professional who was perfectly suited to my situation. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. Anxiety Slayer listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Slayer. H-E-L-P forward slash Slayer. Eric, before the break, we were discussing building habits and spiritual transformation qualities and fostering learning and growth. But I'd, I'd like to also know your thoughts on how we can navigate around the roadblocks that we experience, the, the ones that we subconsciously put up for ourselves, the resistance that will come up and you were talking about it a little bit before break about the working out or the choices that we make or don't make and the way we label ourselves. And, and so maybe you could continue on that, putting that puzzle together and help us navigate around these roadblocks.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, different people's roadblocks are, are different. So it's, it's hard to, to generalize too much with things that get in our way. There are some roadblocks that stop us from taking particular action. That's, that's a type of roadblock. And then there are roadblocks, I think, that stop us from feeling more peace of mind. And so those are very different sort of animals. And I'm going to talk to the second one a little bit more okay. than the first one, because you use the word there, resistance. And resistance is really, the, the best way I can say it is just this sort of consistent sense of, I don't want to.
0: Yeah, Right.
1: <laughs> we're getting a lot of mileage out of me eating bread at lunch yesterday yeah, but right. we'll go back to that we'll go back to that example you know I come home and I'm really tired and I've got a I've got the rest of the day of things to do and my brain starts going I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to do that I don't want to do that I don't want to do that right and that may that, that just makes me more tired so learning to drop some of the resistance to life is really an important thing to do. And it's one of the spiritual habits that we work on. It's a great idea that was put out there. I think it originated with the, the meditation teacher Shinzen Young. But he said that suffering equals pain times resistance. If we take my example yesterday, the pain is that I'm tired. It just It's no fun to be tired and have a lot to do. We all can relate to that. And it just, it's an unpleasant thing. But to the extent that I'm really leaning into that, like, I don't want to, and I wish I didn't have to do this. And boy, would it be great if I could take a nap. The extent I'm doing that, that's all resistance. And so what's happening is I'm taking the original quote unquote pain in this case, and I'm multiplying it. And that is equating to more and more suffering. And if you look in your own life and you look internally, you'll just see where we do this all the time. Oh, yeah. The thing that I try and do is if either A, I can't change the situation or B, I'm not going to change the situation, then I try and really work on just, okay, this is what's happening. So yesterday, right, I could have said, I'm too tired. I'm canceling all my afternoon appointments and I'm going to get in bed. There's no law that stops me from doing that. I could do that. I clearly looked at the situation, and that was not the choice I was going to make. It's a much more effective to be like, all right, well, I'm choosing to continue on with my activities of the day. Yeah, that's okay. a choice I'm making. And now I'm moving out of resistance and I'm moving more into a sense of active choice. And it's not a big thing, but it actually matters. And that's why I love that equation suffering equals pain times resistance, because same situation. Let's just say that the pain of being really tired and having a lot to do is like a three out of 10, three units of pain. Okay. Right now my suffering is at three. But let's say I'm resisting it at a level of like three out of 10. Well, all of a sudden now I have nine total points of suffering. Right. If I turn my resistance just down a notch from three to two, right? I turn my resistance down to two. I now have six points of total suffering, and I haven't had to change the underlying pain at all. And so we can look at this in all aspects of our lives. If I have back pain, same thing applies. There's a certain amount of pain, there are sensations that are coming, but then there's a whole load of, I don't want this, I don't like this, what I, you know, there's all kinds of resistance around it. Can I lessen that resistance? And so the resistance to life. And what's happening, I think, is one of the biggest roadblocks to inner freedom.
0: Absolutely. When we get to that space where we, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, and then we finally weigh our options and we choose to move forward. But in doing so, what would support me right now as I do move forward with my afternoon? How can I best care for myself even though I'm feeling this way? Maybe I can have a A glass of spring water, or maybe I can have a handful of strawberries, or you know, something that might help give me a little bit of energy that's good for me. That and then remember that I was looking forward to what I have going on. And that maybe I would be causing even more pain for myself and others if I blew off the afternoon. You know, like what is the trade-off here? (laughs) As you were talking about those points. And what I find is as soon as I make the choice. To just go for it as soon as i've gotten through that keyhole and on the other side i'm so happy that i did because then i get to have conversations like this one with you (laughs) then you know then i get to do these and it's like oh cool i'm so grateful that i made that choice and i'm also grateful knowing that the next time i go out for lunch with my, with my friend or whatever, I'm, not, I'm leaving the bread basket. You know, take it away. Don't even bring it to me. Or I'm going to order something different. Or what you learn in that, that situation, especially on the days where you have a lot going on. Eat bread on the days you don't. That's
1: right. <laughs> but yeah, certainly, yeah. It's how do I take care of myself in, yeah. in the moment? And often for me, that's just an internal thing. So for me, it was drop the resistance and then re- just reminding myself, of this is what you and I were talking about beforehand. I just said to myself like, "Eric, you have been tired in the afternoon with a full day of work, you know, or a, you know, a lot of work ahead of you, probably thousands of times at this point by my age. And every single time, you've gotten through it. Yeah. You can do it again." And just that was enough to sort of take care of myself, to lessen my sense of overwhelm and just go, "Okay, I can, I got it. I can do this."
0: Right. Let's discuss the three things that all unhappy people hold on to.
1: This comes from the psychoanalyst Albert Ellis, but it also uh, has echoes through every spiritual tradition out there. And it the three things that unhappy people hold on to is that life should always go well, I should always do well, and others should always treat me well. <laughs> and to the extent that we believe that to be true is is to an extent that we suffer, right? It's another way of resisting. Because then every time that life doesn't go well, I don't do well, or people don't treat me well, I have an argument with the universe, right? You're going to be doing a lot of arguing in that case, right? Oh
0: my gosh. It's so because, true. It's so true. Yeah. Because you, if you've spent ever spent any time with somebody who is very unhappy, they're constantly talking about what went wrong? How they were treated poorly? How they expect things to be shitty? How they expect them to go sideways? They're calling it in. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's stunning to me.
1: Yeah, and so I think just um, there's a there's an author, David Richo, who talks about the givens in life, and again, this this echoes Jung and it echoes Buddhism, but you know that there are givens in life. A one big given, right? We're all going to die. Like it's going to happen. And so, to the extent that we don't resist things that are going to happen, the better off we are. Yes, we people are not going to treat us well, and that is going to hurt sometimes. I'm not saying that this this causes a complete lack of like I never feel anything. Right. Let me give a a a more concrete example. I had three dogs. And I I loved my dog. I mean, I love my dogs. I've still got dogs and they are like, they are super uh, precious to me. And so one of my dogs got old and had a stroke and we had to put her to sleep. Sad. Mm-hmm. Really, really difficult, right? A few months later, the next dog in line, who's much younger, gets lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And we end up having to put him to sleep. Now, my brain started to do the it's not fair. Why did he have to go so quickly? I just had to put my other dog to sleep. That's right. not right. 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 I started to get into an argument with the world. And what I was able to do was go, oh, wait a second. Dogs get sick. Living things get sick. They die. It's what happens. So I am really sad, but I'm not in an argument with the world over it. Right. And that's a very different place to operate from. And it actually makes it easier to process emotion and move on because a lot of that resistance and a lot of that thinking and a lot of that arguing is a way of avoiding what we actually feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So right, I was right able right to drop all that and just go, I'm really freaking sad and to go through the grief process, which, yeah. you know, this does not get me out of that, but it does get me out of thinking that it shouldn't be this way. And that idea that it shouldn't be this way causes a lot of suffering. And so in those three things I said that unhappy people hold on to, the first one is that things should always go well. Well, they don't. They just don't. I wish they did. (laughs) I wish there was... Maybe there's an alternate world where they do. (laughs) But in this one, they don't always go well. Life isn't always fair. And this doesn't mean that we don't try and improve circumstances for ourselves and others. It doesn't mean that we don't fight injustice when we see it. It just, there's a slight relaxing into like, this is the way things are. Now, what do I want to do with it?
0: Mm -hmm. There's something that came up in some of the work I was looking at in your program around all or nothing thinking. And it Mm -hmm. really grabbed my attention because I used to be that way. Very much (laughs) all or nothing. And now I can kind of giggle about it because I could see how that was stopping me everywhere, frankly. So I'd love, love, love for us to finish up our conversation today, talking about how we can step out of all or nothing thinking so that we can really enjoy our lives, free ourselves for the curiosity, the gratitude, the wonder that is ours to live.
1: Yeah, all or nothing thinking, boy, that's a big one. I am a big proponent of the middle way and I'm such a big proponent of it because it doesn't actually come naturally to me. You might have guessed from hearing my intro that I was a homeless heroin addict. You might guess like, oh, he had a tendency towards the extremes. Yeah, Um, maybe just a little, just a little. Right. (laughs) I was joking with my uh, I was working out with a trainer last week. I said, philosophically, I'm a middle way guy. Personality trait wise, I'm not, which is why it's, be, why it's become such a hugely important philosophy for me. Um, because, yeah, all or nothing thinking, the extremes get us in trouble. I mean, there's just countless ways that we get into all or nothing thinking hurts us, right? You know, we could get into it between indulging and repressing emotion. Some people allow emotion to just run their life, it makes all their decisions. Other people try and completely shut it off. The middle way actually works better. Some people are are way too comfortable. There's other people who are like, they're, you know, I'm not going to be in my comfort zone and they push themselves so far out that it doesn't work. There's, so how do we get away from it? I think the first is just to start to recognize that that's what we're doing. It's to, this is that internal awareness we were talking about earlier. Like, oh, here I am back in black and white thinking. The other is to watch our language. This is probably the most practical thing. Watch my language. If I'm using words like always, you know, you're always late. You always do that. I always make mistakes or never, right? I never catch a break or I never do well in presentations. Another big piece of language is everything. Everything is going badly. Well, is it? Is everything, you know, like, and we start to just ask ourselves questions. Is that true? Is it true that she always does that? No, that's not true. Let me think a little bit more about it. She did it twice last week. Oh, okay. You know, is it true that I ne- This never happens. Is it true that everything? No, it's not everything. You know, another one's everyone. Everyone will think I'm stupid. Well, who's everyone? The three people that will be in the meeting with me next week. I'm not saying that th- that's not a legitimate thing to worry about. Extreme language produces extreme emotion. And so we want to watch our language. It's a very clear way that we move into all or nothing or black and white thinking. This is a big one for me. My back is killing me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. By no stretch of the imagination is it. But that's my brain just for whatever reason. When I tune in, I go, that's what it's saying. I can't stand it Mm -hmm. is another one, right? Mm -hmm. Well. Actually, I can. So language is one place to really right out of the gate, start noticing when we're moving into all or nothing thinking and start to look for words that are a little bit more accurate. And then the other is just to watch for, it's this or that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, is there, are, are, there, are there other options? Are there third options? And can be a very useful phrase. I I can hold multiple emotions at the same time. There's there's so many nuances to this that sure, sure. Um, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit because it's one of my favorite topics.
0: Mine too. My father was the king of hyperbole.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, Him and my mom would have gotten along. I, if you're listening, mom, I love you.
0: <laughs> I picked that up and occasionally will still catch myself saying something mm-hmm. and blowing it just completely out of proportion. Now it's more of a, it kind of just cracks me up and mm-hmm. and I bust myself and and move on. But for the longest time, that was a a normal thing. And, and so you yeah. get in that pattern and it's, I'm not judging it or labeling, it just is what it is. And so as soon as you can be aware of that, oh, wow, how interesting that he or that I want to make something so much grander, so much bigger, mm-hmm. so much more. Yeah. Than it really is.
1: Yeah. A lot of us have this deep fear of things being sort of in the middle and of being quote unquote average, or there's this real sense that, you know, we're sold on culturally, like everybody should be exceptional. The vast majority of us simply are not exceptional. I mean, it doesn't mean we're not special. It doesn't mean we're not lovable. It doesn't mean all these things. Actually, when we drop the need to really be exceptional, we can actually start to just live life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we can actually just start to go, okay, you know what? I'm just another person doing the best that I can. And, and there's so you know, much,
0: and there's so much sweetness in that. Yes. When you let yourself be that and let yourself love what you love. I think that opens the door for more curiosity. I think that opens the door for more kindness naturally because you can exhale. You can drop your shoulders and go, okay, how do I want to live my life? How would I like this to look? And it doesn't have to be in comparison because comparison is a whole nother podcast, right? So, Comparison is like
1: two or three podcasts. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, Eric. So this time blew by. I want to keep talking to you. What's coming up for you? What What are you feeling like you might want to share with us before we part ways today?
1: I'm going to go back to something we said earlier in the conversation, which was, you know, everybody's a little bit different. And um, when we talk about middle way thinking, when we talk about all or nothing thinking, it's really helpful to recognize that character traits that become virtues are generally sort of a middle place between two opposites. Courage is the middle place between being a coward and being an idiot. Courage <laughs> is kind of, kind of in the middle. And so with any of these things, what's really helpful is to know for you, you know, what direction do you need to move? In my coaching practice, people are always like, well, you know, what's the one thing you would tell everyone? I'm like, well, that's kind of tricky because everybody's yeah. different. Some people, I need to push harder. Some people, I need to say, take it a little easier. So knowing yourself is really important. And as you listen to me talk or anyone else talk, it's really always important to run this sort of through our own filter and go, okay, does that apply to me? If so, you know, oh yeah, I do need more of that. Or know what, you know what, I'm already too far in that direction. I actually kind of need the opposite of that. So it always, after I get done with the conversation, it always sort of bubbles up for me to sort of tell people like, Trust your own experience to some degree. Know yourself and know your tendencies and learn what works for you.
0: Mm, Trust yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again, Eric. I'm incredibly grateful to spend some time with you. So much love.
1: Thank you. Right back at you.
0: That was Eric Zimmer. His Spiritual Habits Program combines foundational spiritual principles with proven behavior change practices and explores how we can learn to live and experience our lives in a more grounded, loving, strengthening, and creative way. Learn more about the Spiritual Habits Program at oneufeed.net.